Bill regarded his father in frustration. He'd come to troubleshoot with Arthur at the ministry after another long and incredibly tedious day at Gringotts, during which his wand had been weighed twice and he'd been half-stripped once for purposes of identification. The London Gringotts guards were no longer taking chances. Even now that the Death Eaters had been defeated, high security was still in effect. And since not all the goblins in the London branch were accustomed to Bill's presence, they stopped him at every turn. He wondered if it had something to do with his hair. He knew he stuck out a mile. After just a few weeks back at work, he was already sick of protesting that he was a legitimate employee, that he was from the Egyptian branch, that if they'd just check his papers... Bill sighed. He couldn't think of a worse way to end a workday than by having his birthmark verified by very unceremonious goblins. And it didn't help that he wasn't getting anything accomplished now. It felt that he was prologuing the day to no real purpose. They were no closer to a solution for keeping the Dementors at Azkaban than they had been at first. Arthur had now been sitting with his balding head gripped in his hands for ten minutes, glaring at his desk and muttering somewhat nonsensically, blaming me for this, as if I'm the one who set the Dementors out there in the first place, starting to feel for fudge I really am. Best way to do it really would be to get rid of the Dementors altogether especially if we could get that imprisonment charm together. Then we wouldn't need another guard system. No way to kill those creatures, though. That we know of, Bill interjected. They're not immortals. Arthur raised his weary head and gave a half-smile. Then why do they live forever? Just because they're not categorized in a certain way doesn't mean we can really kill them. They're resistant to everything, including Avarda Cadavra. They're like walking death themselves. There's got to be a way to get rid of them, Bill urged. I'll keep working on it. Arthur nodded and sat up straight. Until then, the thing to do is to find another way to keep them at Azkaban. I can't just ask Moody and the rest to stay out there any longer. It's ludicrous asking them to perform Patronus Charms 24 hours a day. Ludicrous. Not to mention there's no guarantee they can't escape. We lost one once, didn't we? Bill felt his stomach lurch slightly not your fault, Dad. Then whose? Arthur asked flatly. It's just too damn difficult to keep count of them. They keep back in the shadows and they blend together. Good thing Moody's got a sixth sense on him when it comes to dark creatures. Arthur was interrupted by a sharp rap on the door. Come in, he called. Mundungus Fletcher, whom Bill knew to have been heading up the MLES since the end of the war, stuck his head around the door and addressed Arthur. "'Another one of those kids,' he said, shaking his head. "'Young girl. Pretty little thing. What do you want me to do?' Arthur sighed. "'St. Mungo's Children Home,' he replied wearily, sounding as though that answer cost him something. "'It's the only place right now, and at least it's got beds and baths and food for them, until we have time to investigate missing persons and locate the parents.' Behind his beard, Fletcher's face was a deep-set frown. "'You know that they're probably all dead or Death Eaters, Arthur.' Maybe not all. We'll take the time to check when we've got the manpower. Fletcher looked as though he would have liked to reply, but held his tongue and nodded. Right. I'll drop some papers for her, if she'll sit still long enough. Every time I open the door, she tries to bolt. He shook his head once more, pulled it back around the door, and shut it behind him. Dad? Bill looked at his father for a better explanation of what had just transpired orphans. Seems to be a gang of them hiding down Nocturne Alley. More keep turning up. 
Some because their parents were murdered. Some probably are children of the Death Eaters we have in custody. Arthur looked wearier than Bill had seen him since Percy's funeral, though he slapped one hand determinedly on his desk. One thing at a time. There's an idea Charlie said he wanted to discuss with me about the Dementors. Who knows? Maybe he's got something. When's he supposed to be here? Half an hour ago. Bill rolled his eyes. Of course. Charlie was notoriously late for everything. Nice of him to keep his appointments with the minister. Arthur laughed a little. Now, don't get big ideas. I know, Dad. Bill grinned. I guess it's just throwing me off how everybody keeps coming to you for permission to do everything. I keep thinking this means you're in charge around here. There was a small pop behind him, and Charlie's voice came over his shoulder. Damn, Dad, that's one gymnasium you ministry types have got for yourselves. I'll have to watch it or I'll get spoiled. Of course, it's not as fun as riding dragons. Charlie had apparated, Bill noted with amusement, straight from the locker room showers. His brother had obviously spent the day hard at play, and now he stood in the office of the Minister of Magic, with his knapsack over his shoulder and a towel around his waist, his red hair sopping wet. He wore nothing else save the high-security apparition admissions badge that hung around his neck, and the red and gold scaled dragon tattoo that climbed his right side. Charlie, began Arthur dubiously, his eyebrows raised high. Charlie looked around, then down at himself. He shrugged. What? I was running late. He stretched from side to side, making the dragon tattoo breathe magic fire across his chest as his muscles flexed, then stuck his wand sideways in his mouth and bent down to grab his robes. Seriously, Dad, he muttered through the wand. You should take advantage of that stuff down there. It's great. Arthur exchanged a look with Bill as Charlie pulled his robes over his head right there in the middle of the office. Too much time in the company of wild animals, their father muttered across the desk. Bill chuckled. Charlie was certainly the least tame among them, and in a family that wasn't exactly low-key to begin with, that was saying something. What's that? Charlie asked good-naturedly, settling himself next to Bill with a satisfied excel. Ready. Right for a meeting. So glad you could join us, Bill remarked. What's the plan then, Charlie? Arthur leaned forward on his desk attentively, and Bill watched his father's face with some concern. All the ministry's current struggles were really wearing on Arthur Weasley, but this one was particularly crucial, and Bill knew that his father was taking personal responsibility for seeing that Azkaban was set to rights. Well, Charlie patted his knapsack as though it contained vital information. An assistant of mine had sort of a brainwave. What do you think of trying out a couple of dragons? Bill and Arthur stared at Charlie blankly. Dragons. Arthur pushed his glasses up on his nose. In terms of... In terms of guarding Azkaban, keeping the Dementors at bay. What do you think? Bill snickered. He couldn't help it. It was an immature reaction, but he'd had a long day and this was really too much. Charlie looked at him as if a bit offended. What? he demanded. It's a good idea. You think that dragons are a good idea for everything, Bill muttered, still laughing a little. You'll be telling me they're good babysitters next. Arthur chortled. Charlie narrowed his eyes and pushed his wet hair off his forehead. For your information, he shot at them both, dragons have a force field around them, natural energy-like. Bill put up his hands in silent appeasement. Of course they do. They do, and you can hang up the wisecracks. My assistant's drawn up a sort of proposal on the whole thing. A dragon's force field is made of the same stuff as a Patronus charm, for the most part. It's like a sort of impenetrable energy. 
dementors can't affect it with their depression. Hell, I can't put it right. She put it a lot better than that. Hold on, I'll read you what she said. Charlie bent his head and began to rummage in his knapsack. Bill couldn't resist. She? he asked politely. Is this your assistant, then? Charlie stopped moving for a fraction of a second. Bill could see the back of his brother's neck go pink. Yeah, Charlie answered momentarily, continuing to rummage. Anyone I know? Bill asked suggestively, enjoying the fact that Charlie was clearly unwilling to talk about whoever it was. Charlie was usually a loudmouth about women, with Bill anyway. Getting him nervous about something personal was a definite rarity. Charlie didn't answer. He merely fished out a roll of parchment. Bill deftly made a grab for it, but Charlie leapt to his feet and handed the parchment over to his father. It's all right there, Dad, he said, obviously making an effort to keep his voice even. Hope it helps. What's the girlfriend's name, Dad? Arthur scanned the parchment, found the name, and opened his mouth. Not a girlfriend, and that's my business, Charlie said flatly. Arthur's mouth fell shut. He looked at Bill apologetically, but Bill shrugged, half-smiling. He'd drag it out of his brother later. There was no question in his mind. Charlie gestured to the parchment, slinging his knapsack over one shoulder as he did so. So if you want to test your theory, after reading that, I'll have Mick go back and harness two of the Welsh Greens. They're the only ones we were able to tame enough to fly during the war. Just let me know. He shot a slight glare at Bill. Going back to the flat. Bill nodded. I don't want to apparate, though. Mind walking? I've been cooped up all day with those bloody goblins. Charlie shrugged. See you, Dad. Night, boys. Arthur waved to them without looking up from the proposal. Apparently, whatever Charlie's assistant had written on that parchment, it was worth a second thought. Bill shrugged. Maybe the dragons would end up being useful to the purpose after all. He didn't get a chance to say this out loud, however. As soon as they were out in the ministry corridors, Charlie barked at him. It's a good idea. Bill groaned inwardly and made a mental note not to crack on dragons any time in the near future, as Charlie continued to drill it into him. It's a damn good idea, and the dragons do have that energy. I'm telling you, don't you remember? That's why it took so long to hide them during the war. Their energy kept interfering with whatever diversion enchantments that witch was trying to put up around them. Bill jumped. He hadn't had his old nightmare since moving back to England, but at the mere mention of diversion enchantments, Bill conjured an immediate mental image of the witch that had cast them. He tried to shake it, found he couldn't, and gave in to the memory for a moment. It wasn't that he wanted to dwell on her face so much as that he couldn't help it. It helped, at least, that the memory of that incident didn't frustrate him any more. Too much time had passed. She wasn't real to him now so much as a dream. He hardly thought about her, except in sleep. Still, arrested by the unexpected reference to that night in the trench, Bill wound unseeingly down the rest of the corridors, and he was only half listening to Charlie's continual prattle about the dragons as the two of them walked out of the building's grand front entrance and into Diagon Alley. Bill was so lost in thought that the next event nearly caused him to tumble headlong down the Ministry's massive and crowded front steps. He felt a shove against his back, and a moment later, a school-aged girl with tangled hair that might have been blonde if it hadn't been filthy had forced her way between himself and Charlie. She didn't stop to apologize, nor did she look behind her, but simply bolted into the street and went careening toward Nocturne Alley. Sufficiently snapped out of his revelry, Bill watched her go, feeling oddly pulled to follow. Not until he had lost sight of her did he realize that the girl was probably the same orphan 
that Mundungus Fletcher had been talking about in his father's office earlier on. It seemed she had indeed managed to claw her way out of having to go to the children's home. Bill craned his head, wishing he had reacted more quickly, but she had disappeared from view. Bill sighed, knowing that it was only a matter of time before Fletcher picked her up again. He couldn't help imagining Jinny at that age, and wondering what she would have done if their parents had been taken from her. Charlie rubbed his elbow what the girl had knocked against it. What was that about? he muttered. Bill sighed. For the rest of their walk to the flat they shared, he explained to Charlie everything he'd heard in the minister's office that afternoon. By the time the two brothers arrived at their makeshift home, they'd had a few words about the state of the world, and neither was in a mood to banter about dragons any longer. Bill didn't even feel compelled to prod Charlie about his mysterious assistant. At least, he grinned to himself, not at the moment. They pushed open the door to find Charlie's fellow dragon keeper, Mick O'Malley, sitting in the middle of the floor, grinning into the box that sat in his lap. Around him there was evidence of packaging, which he'd strewn around wildly, as if in a hurry to get to whatever was in the box. He looked up as they entered. "'Look here!' he greeted them excitedly. "'Look who sent me an import from Australia!' "'No way!' Charlie dashed across the room and stared down into the box. "'Oh, that's brilliant!' he cried. "'Did Stillwell send you these?' "'He did that,' Mick replied happily. "'I've been wanting to get my hands on some of these ever since—' "'He smuggled that box full into the keeper's training camp,' Charlie finished, dropping down on the floor and reaching into the box. "'Yeah, so have I. That was ruddy hysterical.' Bill watched all this with mounting curiosity, and yet he was unsure whether or not he wanted to know what highly lethal Australian creature was living in that box. Charlie was almost as bad as Haggard had been when it came to crossing animal life with common sense. Raising his eyebrows and bracing himself for some small terror, Bill took two long steps across the room and looked. "'Billywigs,' said Mick reverently, lifting the jar out of the box so Bill could see it. Indeed they were. There were a half a dozen of the little stinging beasts crawling all over each other inside the glass. Bill laughed out loud and shook his head ruefully at Charlie. "'I won't say a word, except if Dad ends up calling on you to get your dragon together for Azkaban, and you're sitting around all stung up on these things.' Charlie balked. "'I don't get stung up. I just think they're interesting. And don't you go acting all high and mighty. I've heard wild stories about the kinds of stuff you could get your hands on in Egypt.' Bill deigned not to reply. "'Are we going back to Romania for a couple of dragons, then?' Mick asked Bill keenly. "'Don't know yet,' Charlie mused, taking the jar from Mick and watching the billywigs with a fascinated eye. "'My dad's reading the proposal, anyway, so I guess it's a yes. It's a damn good proposal.' Bill was on it in a flash. "'Who sent that proposal, Mick?' Mick looked up, a wicked gleam in his eye, and opened his mouth. Hope you will enjoy writing Flatio on every assignment for a year, Charlie interrupted evenly. I can do it, too. Don't forget which one of us is the supervisor. Apparently, Flatulo wasn't the dragon of choice because Mick's mouth clapped shut again. He shrugged at Bill. Bill shrugged as well. This was getting more and more interesting. 